Hey, I want to start off with uh, a quote from one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. That, of course, is my man, Mike Tyson. I mean, who doesn't want to listen to a dude with a face tattoo and is most known for biting someone's ear off? Am I right? This was going to be a good look. I was thinking about going and getting a face tattoo just for this sermon, but uh, my wife said no. But Mike Tyson, hear me out, is a really good quote. A little wisdom here. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Does everyone feel that way sometimes? This is a truism about life. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Some of you have been punched in the mouth just recently. If you have not been punched in the mouth, I'm not talking literally, but if you have not, something's going to come down where you feel like you got punched in the mouth. And we have this experience, right? We often have this experience where we come to worship, we come and maybe we have a great Sunday where you feel jazzed and ready to go. You have the peace of the Lord. You have the joy of the Lord. Maybe it's a, a private prayer time. Maybe it's in corporate prayer time, but like you are on a high and you're ready to go and you walk out these doors thinking you're going to take on the world. And then something happens that week where you want to go and bury your head in the sand again. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's all good until you get punched in the face. And what's really interesting is that it's, this is a thing called being human and living in a fallen world. And today we're going to continue this series called The Way of Jesus. And we are in the book of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark 9, and we're going to start in verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. Now, I want to set the stage. We did this a little off because Liz preached last week, and uh, we went to a, a different story. But we are coming right off the transfiguration, all right? So we're going to go back to my sermon two weeks ago and think about transfiguration because this is the stage of what's about to happen. And if you remember, the transfiguration is this profound moment in Jesus's ministry, and he reveals his glory to a select group of disciples. So he's going to take Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain away from the crowd, and Jesus is going to change his appearance dramatically. It says that he turns white, so white that you can't even bleach it, right? There's nothing in this world that you could see that would be this white. And we talked about this. We're seeing this, that Jesus is showing his glory. And then a little bit more happens. Moses and Elijah show up. They start talking. And then God speaks through a cloud. And he says, Mark 9, 7, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And we talked about this uh, last or two weeks ago. That, that means to be obedient to him. To listen to him is in every area of our life. We are called to be obedient to, to him. And so we see these disciples get a glimpse of the true glory of God. And we see that heaven meets earth in a profound way. That is what is happening on the mountain. These disciples are experiencing the glory of God, but they're actually experiencing heaven here on earth. And it's this amazing experience. Their mind must have been blown. There's a conversation that happens as they're coming down the mountain. And then we see this, Mark 9. 14 through 18, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? What, what are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has, been rob that has robbed him of speech. 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. There's a transition here. There's a juxtaposition. There's two realities that are happening, right? These disciples are coming down the mountain. They're on the highest high. They just saw the glory of the Lord. And then they are hit with this reminder that the world can be and oftentimes is an ugly and broken place. Do you ever feel that? Can I get an amen in the room? When the enemy comes, he always comes to distort, to distract, and to destroy, right? We talked about those. Those are the ways the enemy comes in. And they, they experience heaven on the mountain, and then they come down to the valley, and they see their brothers struggling, right? They see both the disciples having a hard time, and they see the agony of a father that if you ever are just put into a place where you're just experiencing someone who's in agony, someone who's tried everything, and they cannot find a solution for whatever it is, it's challenging to see. This is a boy who's being tormented. It's actually heartbreaking. The kid is robbed of his speech. He gets thrown down. He foams at the mouth. And the kid seems to not be able to get any relief. And what happens is this desperate human need contrasts sharply with the glory of the transfiguration. These are two realities that we all face, right? We all experience the glory of the Lord. We all experience a touch of heaven. And yet then we find ourselves down here on earth where we're experiencing stuff that is just a mess because the enemy comes to distract, destroy, and distort. And it's all good, believers, until you get punched in the mouth. Do you ever feel that way? It's why so many people fall off. Why so many people fall off. It's like they want to come here and they want to have a worship experience over and over and over again. They want to experience the glory of the Lord, but then they go out there and life gets hard and all of a sudden it just falls away, right? But we see Jesus' response. Jesus did not come to live in glory on earth because he could have. He actually came and he got into our mess. He could have lived the transfigured life here on earth, but he comes and he gets into our mess. He experienced humankind. He knows what misery is. He has experienced what you and I go through. This is a huge difference with all other faiths, right? The God of the universe verse comes down and experiences human condition. He does this to set the captives free and he came to show us what freedom looks like, okay? And now we see that the disciples get stuck in an argument with the religious leaders. Jesus is often in an argument with the religious leaders. Now his disciples are in an argument with the religious leaders because they cannot figure this out. Now it doesn't say why they were not able to cast out this spirit. Uh, it could have been fear. There's a large crowd around. Uh, there's a lot of commotion. Maybe they didn't find the courage. Maybe it's unbelief. It appears that with Jesus's response that there's a level of unbelief that's happening. Maybe it's arrogance. Uh, oftentimes this happens. Like you remember, he got he got they got sent out and they got sent out to proclaim the good news, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. And so they had done this before. So they thought we'll just do it again. Whatever it is. We also see that, uh, that there is this presence of the religious leaders. This is a lot, and they're coming after them, right? We know that the religious leaders are up to no good, and so it might be that they just could not figure it out with the authorities there. But I see this, and I might be preaching to myself, 
but we find that sometimes an argumentative spirit in ourselves keep us from moving, from seeing God move in powerful ways. And what we see is that the father is still in anguish. The father is still in anguish. So they, he brings his son down to, to do this. The disciples can't figure it out. They're now in an argument and the father is still in the same situation. He's like, my son still, still needs to be healed. Mark 9, 19 through 24, Jesus responds. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus' response to this desperate father is actually interesting, I think. When I read it, I was like, I would expect him to address the father, but he first addresses the disciples in the crowd. Jesus expresses deep emotion towards the disciples and the crowd. He responds, then he's saying, there is a, a serious spiritual problem at work here. He says this unbelieving generation emphasizes that there is a spiritual battle that is taking place. There is a spiritual battle that's in front of them. And there is a lack of faith. And he, he's saying this to the entire assembly, to the disciples, to the religious leaders, everyone in the crowd. They somehow fail to grasp the power of faith. Remember, Jesus, who we follow, has come to invade and defeat the demonic kingdom. He has come to invade and defeat the nasty, terrible effects that it has on people here on earth. Can I get an amen? That is who we follow, okay? This is the nature of Jesus. And he lays it clear that there is a spiritual battle that is going on. And so he's going to deal with that first, and then he's going to turn to the Father. He's not going to leave the Father hanging. And he, he says this, he, he, he says that, <clears throat> he turns the attention to the boy's father, and he, this, the boy's father somehow shows the necessary attitude or belief. It's interesting, because when I read this, uh, at first I was like, how did this dude do it right, right? He, he's at, timid at best, at best. If you were to write a case study of somebody who's displaying faith, this probably wouldn't be it. Do you see what I'm saying? He says this, if you can do anything. And Jesus is like, come on, man. If I can do anything, if I can. He says, if you can. And then he says this. He points to his ability to heal the boy. But the father's, it's not about the, his ability, but it's actually about the father's ability to trust in God. A God who can do humanly impossible things. And Jesus challenges the father's doubt. He says, Everything is possible for him who believes. Faith does this. It's important. I'm going to throw this, throw this up, Gabe. It sets no limits on God's power, and it aligns your will to his will. Jesus is saying, faith is this. It sets no limit on God's power, and it aligns your will to his will. All right? So the father's response was immediate. He declares 
faith, but notice he also ex- uh, acknowledges his weakness. He says, help me overcome my unbelief. My thoughts on reflecting on this passage is I want us to be the best church at this. I was thinking about this, us as a congregation, and I said, I thought, how often do we pray this way? How often do we have an honest conversation with God about this? How often do you ask God for help in this area? How often do you actually repent of this? Like actually turning your back on unbelief. And as I was asking myself and I was like pointing fingers at y'all, the Lord was like, how often do you do that, Kurt? It often happens to me, the joys of being a pastor because he's working in me at the same time. This is a hard one for me. When things get hard, I pray for things. I I have honest conversations with Jesus. I ask God to take things away, and I ask God to give me courage where I need courage. But I don't often ask the Lord to take my fear or my control or my insecurities, turn my disbelief into faith, into trust. My heart doesn't really scream that, right? It doesn't scream, I want more faith in this area, right? It's an interesting thing because it's a, a little bit of a, a different way of approaching our prayer life. Like, Lord, I want you to take this away from me, or I want you to do this for me, or I want whatever it is, but I also want you to help me with my disbelief. I'm telling you, if we're going to be a faithful church, we are going to have to get this right. We are going to have to say, help me with my disbelief. Does our heart scream, Lord, I repent of this. I'm sorry for anywhere that I've chosen fear or control or insecurity or fill in the blank for any of you all, whatever it is, instead of faith. And you say, Lord, help me with my disbelief. Because one of the core tenets of this faith is that when you face things, it's only possible with the help of God. It makes us look like fools. People think we look like fools when we we do that. But one of the things of being a Jesus follower is to take everything to the Lord and in faith and trust, realizing that he wants to help you, that he wants to move. We are simply vessels. God's power is working through us. So we say, Lord, help us with our unbelief. And we see Jesus responds to the man's faith. Mark 9, 25 through 27, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Jesus, of course, answers the, the cry of the Father, and he casts out the evil spirit. And we look at this time and time again through the book of Mark that the demonic realm has no power when Jesus enters. The demonic realm has no power when Jesus is present, and he rebuked, and he said he ordered out the clean, unclean spirit, and he has two commands. He says, come out and never enter that boy again, and the boy is healed. Look, I, I just wanted to point this out because if we look at the disciples, it's important for us to understand that we will all have moments where we go from glory to punch you in the mouth moments. Do you ever feel that? Like it's a real thing. Like living here on earth is hard. 
I, I had the pleasure of leading a team up uh, Mount Kilimanjaro a few years ago before I started here. And uh, we, I took a hiking team up. And uh, it's really crazy because for two days, you're above Mount Rainier height. And so you're living on a little oxygen. You start to have a little weird dreams. Many people, about two or three people, uh, couldn't remember it when they were up there, which is a whole nother thing. They don't remember the two days. A lot happens to you, right? So you never know what's going to happen to you. So you are in constant prayer. When we talk about constant prayer, you are in constant prayer as you're heading up this mountain. Uh, and so I'm, I'm heading up this mountain, and I have never felt closer to God. Do you ever have that? Like a good adventure, you never are going to feel closer to God than a good adventure. I remember driving across the, the United States by myself in my old Ford Focus, and I prayed harder that trip than I ever have before. Like when you get that rattle in your Montana, and you're like, I have not seen a soul for 20 minutes. Like this is going to be bad. You feel closeness to the Lord, right? Well, take it 24 hours later, I'm hiking down the mountain and our plane is late. I got all these people. We're trying to get to Ethiopia. We have a tight turnaround. And like in 24 hours, getting a little bit punched in the face, it's amazing how all of a sudden I needed control and I was worried and I was anxious. And I was like, how did I go from this glory, just trusting the Lord in every step of the way to on the air, at the airport, just completely losing it. And I got punched in the face a little bit. And instead of prayer, I went to freaking out. Does anybody ever feel that way? Anxiety, fear, lack of trust. What happens when we have these moments? Because I would love to just live in this church experience. Like I would love Allison doing What a Beautiful Name. I'm telling you what, if you cannot worship with What a Beautiful Name, then you ain't got it, right? And it's like I'm on my glory moment, right? I'm in my happy place being with all of you. This is my happy place. And yet we're going to be walking out that door and some of us are going to have something that happens this week to ourselves, to a family member, to a friend where we are going to have to get this right because what happens when we have these moments? Well, Jesus is going to give his disciples a look. Mark 9, 28 through 29, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately. This is what I would do too. Like, I'm not doing it in front of everyone. I'm going privately. Why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we? He replied, this kind come out only by prayer. Jesus explains to his disciples that they are unable to cast out the demon because of their lack of prayer. And some manuscripts add fasting here. The disciples have failed because they have not prayerfully depended on God's power. Whether it's just prayer or prayer and fasting, Jesus is saying when you face challenges, when you face the demonic, you have to start focusing your attention more fully on God. I think there's a huge truth for us here. When you get punched in the face, when you are faced with situations way too big, when there is a relationship that feels too far gone, when you are faced with people with addictions or circumstances that seem too daunting, when we're faced with people who need to be freed so desperately from bondage, when we are, are living where people are under demonic oppression or possession, what do we do? I want us to be a church. We want to be people who are ready to live as only prayer people. The power of prayer is so important. We can be half-hearted in this, but if we are going to be the full redeem that we are supposed to be right here at Gravely in Bridgeport, we have to up our prayer game. 
all right? This is what I'm calling us to, all right? We have to up our prayer game. Team, I want us to be known as the prayer people, all right? Now, the word prayer is speaking to an actual connection to our, in our innermost being with God. There's nothing the disciples could do from a worldly perspective. That's what's happening. This is not a lateral issue. Oftentimes, we come and get punched in the face with something, and we attack it as a lateral issue. What's the earthly perspective? What's the best practices? If I just try harder, if I had more skill or more talent, this would take care of itself. It's a lateral issue to us, but he's saying it's all about prayer. It's actually a vertical issue. It's actually a vertical issue. Prayer allows us to have a heavenly perspective. It gives us the words and the thoughts to speak heaven here on earth. We need heavenly wisdom as we walk. This is the great gift that God has given us, okay? It's a gift that God has given us. It is not something that is burdensome. It's actually a gift. Many people were taught to pray, to pray, to pray, and it becomes a burden. That's not what he's saying. It's everything that we're faced with, we can come at it from a lateral perspective or a vertical perspective, and it's our choice. And it's our choice because we need the thoughts and the words and the wisdom from heaven here on earth. We often approach things like this. I'm going to grind my teeth. I'm going to hold on to it tighter. You know, it's actually interesting. This is my first ever prophetic word that I've ever gotten. It has stayed true for me my entire life. The prophetic word was this vision that someone got for me as I was praying. And they saw a, a piece of wood with a nail stuck in it. And they saw me with a bloodied hand. And there's a hammer sitting right next to the nail. Many of us, that word is for you as well. There is a situation or a challenge in life, and you are trying your hardest to punch that nail in with a bloodied fist when the Spirit of the Lord is sitting right there and ready to give you wisdom, clarity, direction, and a heavenly perspective. But we are not called to grind our teeth or just power through. We are called to be people who cry out to God, to reach for God's wisdom and his perspective, but then also to say, I need your power to move in this situation. But we see the disciples, they appear argumentative. It appears that there's a lack of faith. It appears that there's a lack of discipline in prayer. All of these are spiritual difficulties that we have in our life today. I want to make it clear. It might actually be harder now than ever before. It might be harder now than ever before. Many of us find ourselves wrapped up in things that are not giving us a heavenly perspective, but giving us a lateral perspective. That's fine. I'm not saying that you can't talk to a friend or have wisdom. Or there's wisdom all over the place. But do we take things to prayer first? In a crisis, I find myself, maybe you'll relate to me, I find myself often feeling anxious or worried, maybe freaking out a little bit when we are called to take the position of trust and prayer. Part of the life of a disciple is discipline. Part of the life of a disciple is discipline. Discipline in prayer. Discipline in prayer. Faith is not cheap. It actually takes discipline. So how do we do this well? How do we do this well? 
Let's look at a few insights from scripture, okay? Number one, number one, all of us, we are called to abide. John 5, let's look at this. The religious leaders are challenging Jesus and they say, whoa, Jesus is doing healings and miracles on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds. Jesus gave them this, this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he has done that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Jesus explains that he's not independent of the father. Jesus' activities are not self-initiated. The son is connected to the father. This is the model. This is the model. The relationship is continuous love. It's abiding. Jesus is abiding in the Father the whole time he's here on earth. And by the Father, the Son does amazing works. And we see that we too are called to abide. John 15, 4 through 5, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus instructs his disciples, fruitfulness is the result of the son's life being reproduced in us. This is not a call to works. This is actually a call to remain. It's interesting. In John 15, it says uh, 11 times he uses the word remain. In John's gospel, over 40 times he uses the word remain. And then in John's other writings, 27 times, remain is a big deal. We often don't understand that. Part of our job is to do this, simply remain. Simply remain abiding with the Lord. It's persevering and believing. It's in loving obedience, remaining. Without faith, no fruit can actually be produced. That's the big problem. You don't bear fruit, ironically, by doing more. Isn't that weird? You don't bear more fruit by doing more. You bear fruit by remaining by remaining. Now, this, the second point is this word constant. Uh, this is as obvious as it can be, but it is the hardest thing to do as a believer. Uh, Dana gave me a book and uh, by uh, practicing his presence. And one of the things is like, it's, it's we'll talk about it later, but it's, uh, it's by a, 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 a monk, but uh, he spent every 15 minutes, I think, in prayer. Every 15 minutes in prayer. Now, some of you have a lifestyle that you can't do that, but we are actually called to in con be in constant prayer. Acts, uh, Acts, the start of the church, Acts 1. They all join together constantly in prayer. We see the disciples are doing what Jesus instructed them to do. They're, upper, they're in the upper room praying. And when they say they constantly were in prayer, it means that they were constantly in prayer. All right? Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. 
Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Paul is calling the church to always be in prayer. And these prayers are to be done according to the Spirit. And we live a life of prayer. We are to be alert at the same time because throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to talk about the schemes of the enemy. There is an enemy. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. We can either see it or we can miss it if we're not alert and we're not in constant prayer. Do you guys understand? In constant prayer. When it says constant, it means constant. All right? So important because we have to be ready for any spiritual opposition that we will surely face. When you walk out this door, I wish that there was a way for me to make sure that you all never got punched in the face, but sometimes you will be punched in the mouth. It's just going to happen, okay? But we are to be in constant prayer. The third one I want to bring up is we are supposed to, I think we're supposed to pray with intensity. There's a cultural phenomenon called the ugly cry. Does anybody know the ugly cry? Like everyone has an ugly cry. I ugly cry a lot, just to be completely transparent with you. There's actually scientific research about the ugly cry. The ugly cry actually makes you feel more resilient and it actually makes you feel like you can take on the world better. So when you cry, you actually are feeling more resilient. That's like an only God thing, right? Ugly cry is something that happens to us. I don't cry very often. I try not to cry on stage. I feel like I could cry. Mark and I always have this joke that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we cry and it's very embarrassing in some ways, but that's how you know that we're feeling the Holy Spirit. But an ugly cry is so healthy, okay? It's okay, let yourself ugly cry, right? But also, ugly prayers are a thing, I think. What, how do I define ugly prayers? If someone saw you while you were in your ugly prayer, they would think that person's straight crazy. Am I right? Sometimes you just need to be in that level of intense prayer, right? And sometimes it's just, we just pray in passing, which is totally fine. But sometimes you got to lock yourself in a closet. You got to lock yourself in your office and you got to ugly pray for a little bit. If someone walked in, they would think that person's crazy. I ugly pray a lot. Just so you know, it's like, I don't ever want actually someone to see me because I'm intense with it. Right. And I think there's something to that. Okay. I, there's not actually a thing called ugly praying. So if you're looking at it in the Bible, don't worry about it. But if somebody looked at you, they'd say, man, there is intensity happening right now. Nothing gets you ready for life's punch you in the mouth moments. Nothing is more important when you do get punched in the mouth or your friend gets punched in the mouth or someone has something going on for you to get into intense prayer and intercession for that person. That's what we are called to. I love one of our elders, John. He's, he's the best of this, man. He goes and uh, when there's something going on at work, I love it because he has, just, he's going to, he's going to roll his eyes at me. He has a once in a generation mind. Like he, the way his mind works is incredible, but he could solve a lot of things that come his way, a lot of things that come his way in his business, but he chooses to go back behind this machinery or whatever it is and get on his knees and pray because he says, I need to have a moment with God to have earthly perspective, not lateral perspective. Let's look at this one, book First uh, Samuel, the story of Hannah. Let's set the stage. Eli is the priest. 
and judged during a time of spiritual decline, okay? Eli has a lot of admirable qualities. He really does. But there's several significant issues that are happening within his reign as priest. One is that he has two sons that are also priests, and they're corrupt as can be. Like, he doesn't deal with his sons the right way. And the second one is there is an attack on the sanctuary of God. He doesn't prevent it, okay? So he's, he's admirable in some ways, but there's a lot going on within him. So he's in a time of major spiritual lack. It is a time of major spiritual uh, lack. And some of it, <clears throat> some of us are put into a, a crisis ourselves and we feel that spiritual lack. Or if we just look around us, there is a spiritual lack that is happening, right? Like we are going to be the crazy ones. And the book of Samuel is coming right after the book of Judges, where we find this, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there is no king in Israel Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar as well? It's kind of what we're dealing with, right? It's the backdrop of Hannah and Eli. And, and there's this man, and he has two wives, all right? Hannah is his first wife, and he loves her dearly. He's, she's actually favored. But his second wife has the children, and Hannah has none. So let's pick it up here, 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 16. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This is the second wife. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rivals provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servants, but give her a son that I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servants for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. In a time of spiritual emptiness, Hannah comes and prays with intensity. And she prays, uh, for a situation that she has no answers for. She's out of answers. Many of us have faced situations all the time where we are out of answers. And it's, a, it's such a dark spiritual time that even the priest doesn't recognize her prayer. She, he's like, that girl is drunk over there, right? Intense prayers make you look a little crazy, all right? And, and we see that she is abiding, that she is in constant prayer, and that she's intensely pouring out her soul to the Lord. She is in true prayer. Now, there's a lot of thoughts on prayer. There's a lot of thoughts, and I want to make this clear. Intense prayers do not have to look a certain way. 
Some of us have been taught a certain way to pray or we've been in a culture where intense prayers are supposed to look this way. And some of us, I'm, I'm actually surprised by this, but I, maybe this is you and that, that's totally fine. You're in a safe place here. But like they you feel insecure to pray. Like praying is insecure, especially amongst other people. That's totally fine. But what we see is that intense prayers do not need to look a certain way. I have been in a place where people are yelling and shouting and running around all over the place. I have been in some intense prayers. I have found myself in moments of intense prayers like that. I've also been with people who are praying silently and they're in their quiet time. And man, there is an intensity that they're praying. They're pouring their heart out to the Lord. I have that as well. This is not to say that it's supposed to look a certain way. It's supposed to say this, that we are supposed to come and we're supposed to abide and we abide by being in constant prayer. And that when we get those moments where we just need the Lord to move, there's an intensity of pouring out our soul to the Lord. This is how we are meant to live. We want glory after glory after glory moment, but then we hit the, the pavement and it's like, oh man, this is so hard. Abide, get in constant prayer, intensely pour out your soul, intensely ask for the Lord to move. This is the lifestyle of a redeemed person. Amen? Amen. Bitter weeping said, out of her misery, out of her grief. This is not a technique to master. This is a realness with the Father that we are called to do. It's a pouring out of your soul in every situation in your life. Jay, you can come on up. We have to be people who take moments all the time ready for whatever spiritual battle is going to come our way. And we have to be ready for the moments. That is a lifestyle and a discipline of prayer. Uh, some of us fast. Some of us have a discipline of prayer. But some of us are just wandering around, not spending any time in disciplined prayer. And my challenge to you is that if you were to get anything right, if you want something to change within your faith walk, prayer is where it begins. To connect with the Heavenly Father to connect with an, a heavenly perspective and no longer an earthly pre, uh, perspective. At this moment, we are to connect our thoughts to heaven because our thoughts are not supposed to be our own. And we recognize that we need God's power in our lives to move. You guys can come on up, man. We have to be people who are ready to be, be only by prayer people because we're going to be faced by these situations. Uh, there's something that um, we're working on right now. Upstairs, we're working on what will be the future prayer room. And uh, if you remember, John, uh, about, I don't even know, a year ago or whatever, we were meeting at the park, and we built a huge wall. And on that wall, we put the ways that we were going to celebrate the Lord moving. The Lord has done so much for each one of us, and he's done so much for us as redeemed. And on that, in that prayer room, we took the wall and Sue and Jackie did a little bit of their, uh, their special painting and we made it into a prayer and praise wall. So you're going to find that back by the, by the coffee back there. I want to challenge each of you, if you're carrying something today that you just need to give to the Lord, that you need to hand it over in faith and trust 
there's a little card and you can just write on it and you can hang it up there, okay? But I want to make sure that we get this right. There is nothing, nothing that we could do at Redeem if we don't get this right. Prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Are we taking everything to the Lord? It's the reason that the intentionality that I ha- that we had when we bought this building to do the Kingdom Come Prayer Nights every uh, first Wednesday of every month. It is a time for us to come together and to connect with the Heavenly Father. We're going to wait, not in Jan- July, but in August, we'll pick it back up. But at the same time, we want to create a space where we can come and just like Hannah, just spend time, even in this building, just praying to the Lord, whatever you need. So that's going to be in the works as well. But at the same time, I want to make sure that each one of you, including myself, are ready for the spiritual battle that's going to come our way. If you are not currently in a fight of some sort, you will be at some point. And what happens is if you don't do the training or you don't have the discipline to get into it, you are not going to like it when you're in there. But the Lord said that we are to give everything in prayer. We are to abide in Him, that we are to be in constant prayer, and that we are to pray with intensity, pouring our soul out. Go ahead and stand up.